Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. What if I could show you one activity in the Bible that could bring you priceless joy while at the same time benefiting and blessing the people around you. Would you want to know what that activity was? What, what if that same activity would open for you the windows of heaven and invite God's blessing into your life spiritually and materially while at the same time allowing God's glory to be made known through your life. What if that same activity would also allow you to join in expanding God's kingdom activity in Las Vegas, the West, and throughout the world, while at the exact same time resulting in eternal rewards for you? What if this same activity would protect you from envy, jealousy, greed, materialism, and self-centered living. What if there was one activity in the Bible that was attached to every one of those promises? Would you want to know what that one activity is? I don't believe you. Would you want to know what that one activity is? Would you want to practice that activity in your life? Well, the reality is every one of those promises and so many more. We could literally stand here all day reciting the promises that are attached to the simple biblical practice of generosity. Everything that I just outlined plus so many more, as you read and study the scripture, all of these promises are attached to the biblical practice practice of generosity. So I want to ask a question this morning. What is generosity? We're in the middle of the Christmas season. People say Christmas is the season of what? It's the season of giving is what people say. And so it's important that at this time of the year and really at every time in our lives that we understand this biblical principle of generosity. The Bible speaks so much to it. I want to help us understand it today by understanding the word generosity as we begin. The word generosity is a word that is used in the Bible. It's used in principle both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Bible was written predominantly in Hebrew. 
In the New Testament, the Bible was written predominantly in the Greek language, and both of those languages provide some powerful word pictures that help us understand the biblical principle of generosity. So I want to kind of show you those word pictures this morning. For example, if you look in the Old Testament, one of the word pictures that you will find that is translated into the, new, into the, the Bible language in English with the principle of the word generosity is the picture of saturating something with water. It's like taking this very dry towel and you take this dry towel and you put it down into this bucket of water. And then when you pull that towel up out of the water, you can see the water is just running off of that towel. It has now been, what, saturated with water, right? That is the Hebrew word for generosity, to saturate with water. So I want you to think about that word picture in just a moment. I'm going to show you how all of these fit together. Because there's another word picture in the Old Testament that is used to describe this principle of generosity. And it's an expression that means, or a picture that means to fill something to overflow. So we got a a, a vase here, and I got this pitcher of water. And you can take this pitcher of water, and you can start filling up this vase until it gets to the very top. Then you can stop, right? Or you can just keep pouring, right? And what happens? It overflows, right? And it starts to make a mess all over the stage. The facilities team was so nervous about me doing this illustration, right? Because they knew it was going to make a mess. But the point is, it's filling the overflow. You're not just stopping here, but you're giving more than it can contain, and it's just spilling over the top. That's an Old Testament picture of generosity, to fill something to overflow. So think about saturating with water, to fill to overflow. A third picture is out of the New Testament, the Greek language. And and in the Greek language, one of the words that's used to describe generosity is a word that means to be on the lookout. All right? I'm seeing some of you like I've never seen you before. You are up close and personal. Wave at me right there. Yep, I see you waving right there, right there. Yep, you're out there. So the principle is to, to be on the lookout. And the picture, when you think about it, when it comes to generosity, is living on the lookout, looking for those opportunities. The fourth word picture is one that's become famous here at Hope because I like to use it a lot. But there's a word that's used to describe generosity in the New Testament that literally means open-handed. I want you to take your hands and I want you to hold them out like this. Everybody do this. And I want you to wiggle your fingers like this. There's the principle of generosity. We're to live open-handed. That's generosity. Now, in our culture, you can put them down. You look so good doing it, but you can put them down. In our culture, unfortunately, instead of living like this, often we're taught to live like this, right? And if generosity is on the table at all, it looks something like this. But the principle of Scripture is that I'm to live with everything I have open-handed. Why? Because everything I have really belongs to the Lord. Everything that I have has simply been entrusted to me. Now, I know even in hearing that, some people go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've worked very hard for what I have. Yeah, but who gave you the strength every day to get up and go to work? Who put breath in your body this morning to allow you to be here? It's God himself. So everything we have ultimately is a gift from the Lord, and we are not owners. 
We are simply stewards of that which has been entrusted to us. And I want you to put it all together. We're to live with everything that we have on our fingertips, holding it loosely, looking for opportunities to saturate, looking for opportunities to fill to that point of overflow. Let me give you a definition for generosity. Generosity is living life always looking for opportunities to overflow into someone else's life. It's living like this. But you know what happens too often? We live like our kids. You remember when your kids were little and you take them through the drive-thru and get some french fries? Remember that? I know some of you already think I'm a bad parent because I went through a drive-thru and bought french fries, but just get over it. All right, I did. You did too. Don't look at me spiritual. We all did. We went through there, got the french fries, kid gets the french fries, you pay for the french fries, you take the french fries, you hand them to your child, and your child begins to eat those french fries, and you lean over the seat and say, hey, can dad have one of those? (laughs) No! These are my french fries! Wait a minute. Who bought those? Where did those? Whose hand put those in your hand? How could you forget that quickly? But unfortunately, we're like that a lot with the Lord. We tend to think it all belongs to us. It's mine. It's kind of cute when it's a little kid. It's not quite as cute when it's us with the Lord. But the reality is he's called us to live with everything we have open-handed on our fingertips Looking for opportunities to not do this, but to saturate, to fill, to overflow. And if you think about it, the real message of the gospel at its core is a message of generosity. Let me show it to you. If you were going to pick one verse... And this was going to be the verse that you were going to use to communicate the gospel. If you could say there's one verse in the Bible that sums up the whole Bible in one verse. It's what? John 3.16. Let's put it up there. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he... Say it out loud. I'm sorry. He did what? He gave. God so loved the world that he... No, he gave his only begotten son. Do you hear the lavishness of the generosity of the gospel? The Bible says that God emptied heaven. He gave his only begotten son. Why? So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says, I was lost in my sin. Because of my sin, I was separated from God, and I deserve to spend an eternity separated from God, but God richly, I love that little word, so God didn't just love me, God so loved me. Say that with me. God so loved us. Listen, he didn't just love us, he said again, he so loved us. God so loved the world that he 
gave, he lavished, he poured out, he saturated us with the grace of sending Jesus Christ. And Jesus came into this world. He took all of your sin, all of my sin on himself. And on the cross, Jesus Christ died for our sin. But he didn't stay dead. Amen? He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God accepted his sacrifice for our sin. Now we can be forgiven and we can be given a relationship with this God and eternity in heaven all because of the gracious, lavish generosity of God who so loved us. The message of the gospel is a message of generosity and as you and I live out, This generous gospel that we've received. One aspect of that is generous living. As we live out. Think about it. This is who he is. As we're conformed to the image of who he is, that lavish generosity begins to be lived out in our lives. In the way that we spend our time, in the way that we use our gifts and abilities, in the way that we manage the resources that he's entrusted to us, here's what I think. Really, we are never more like Jesus than when we are giving. We're never more like him than when we're giving. That's why at Hope... One of our core values that we live by as a family of faith is what we call generous living. Look at it on the screen. Read it out loud with me. We live life ready to make a difference in the lives of others. It's one of the things we value at hope. It drives the way we make our decisions. So much so that about every 18 to 24 months as a family of faith, We take a couple of weekends and we dig deep into this principle of generosity specifically as it applies to our financial resources and how we steward what God has entrusted to us. We did this in February of 2014. We did a series called Getting and Giving and we talked about these principles. We're doing it again now in the fall of 2015, almost 24 months later, 22 months since we studied this together. Here's what's incredible. Over these last 22 months since we studied this together, we've had over 1,200 people in our fellowship go through our membership process here at Hope. God's growing us, and we think it's so important that all of us as a family of faith understand this principle. And in general, there are two statements that really summarize what the Bible teaches about generosity as it applies to our financial resources. And that's really what we're going to be looking at for the next two weekends, this weekend and next We're going to talk about generosity, and here are the two statements. Always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice. Say that out loud with me. Always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice. And let me just show you right out of the gate how far we've drifted from a biblical worldview. We think always giving a portion is a sacrifice. You with me? We believe if I'm given anything at all, I am sacrificing. But the way the Bible teaches it 
is that always a portion is the regular rhythm of those who are following Jesus. And sometimes, sometimes he calls us to a unique level of sacrifice that goes beyond simply giving a portion. So we're going to focus on this weekend is this <coughs> excuse me idea of always a portion. Next weekend, we're going to talk about sometimes a sacrifice. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Malachi chapter 3. If you're saying, where in the world is Malachi, it's probably because you think it's Malachi, but that's not Malachi. It's Malachi, and if you're struggling to find it, it's the very last book of the Old Testament. So if you can find the Gospel of Matthew, just move back a few pages to Malachi chapter 3. Listen to the words of this text of Scripture, and understand as I read them, this is entirely God speaking in these verses. And I know that the entire Bible is the Word of God, but this section is an exact quotation from the lips of God Himself. Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. Powerful statement by the Lord about this idea of generosity as it applies to always giving a portion of what God's entrusted to us to Him as an investment in His work. So I want to unpack this passage by asking and answering three very simple questions and we're going to be done. Here's the first one. Why should I give? It's an honest question. It's a fair question. Why should I give? Well, there's a lot that we could say to answer that question. As a matter of fact, we could preach six or seven weeks just on that question alone. But what I want to try to do this morning is, is just look at exactly what this text says and draw a couple of applications just out of these few verses that we've read this morning to try to answer that question. Here's the first biblical reality I want us to understand. God's activity is fueled by the giving of his people. Read that out loud with me today. You ready? One, two, three. God's activity is fueled by the giving of his people. Did you hear what the Bible said here? God said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's important for us to note <coughs> right out of the beginning that when he said bring, it wasn't a suggestion. He wasn't laying an option on the table for us to pray about. It's actually in the Hebrew construction an imperative, meaning that it's a command here. God is commanding us to bring this, what he calls the tithe. It's a Hebrew word that means 10%. He's commanding us to bring that into the storehouse. Now, we hear that and immediately something in our flesh rises up when we start talking about finances and resources and say, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean he's commanding us? Well, don't, don't forget when God gives us a command, his commands are not to restrict us, 
His commands are His invitation for us to get in on something that is good and best for our lives. The reality is God is not needy. Let me say that again. God's not needy. God is not in heaven this morning as churches are gathered all over North America receiving offerings going, oh man, I hope today's a good one. God's not needy. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of Psalms that the earth, here's what the Lord said, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. God said the world is mine. He spoke the world that you and I can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell. He spoke it into existence. And let me just say this. When you can speak something out of nothing, need is never a problem. Some of you are going to get that at lunch and go, oh, man, that was good. I'm going to say it again. When you can speak something out of nothing, need is never a problem. God does not command us to give because He needs our resources. God is not in heaven today wringing His hands over our involvement. God commands us to give as His invitation for us to get in on what He's doing. Look what He said in verse number 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. God in His sovereignty has chosen to work through His people. Think about it in another arena. Think about the arena of prayer. You've heard me say before that God in His sovereignty has chosen to limit His activity to the prayers of His people. Now, can I just be honest with you? I don't completely understand that. God doesn't need us. But God in His infinite wisdom has chosen to work through us. And so God has chosen to limit His activity to the prayers of His people. Where you see God alive and at work, you dig deep enough, you will find God's people on their faces in desperation, crying out to God in prayer. Every story of the movement of God is really the history of answered prayer. God in His infinite wisdom has chosen to work through the prayers of His people. The same thing is true in the area of financial resources. God in His sovereignty has established that His activity will be accomplished through His people. I love the way Charles Stanley said it. Look on the screen. Charles Stanley said, God provides for His people through His people. That's why at Hope we say this all the time. You don't give to a church... You give through a church as an investment in the kingdom activity of God being accomplished through the fellowship of that church. Now, let me prove it to you. How many of you this morning would say, in some way, small or large, in some way, you have been blessed by the ministry of Hope Church? Let me see your hand. Just hold it up for a second. In some way... Hold it up for a second. I want you to look around you. In some way, small or large, you've been blessed by the ministry of Hope Church. Look around you. 
You can put your hands down. Listen, we don't have time to do it this morning, but, but I could get a microphone and I could run around here and say, hey, tell me about how you've been blessed. And we could spend the rest of the day hearing the testimonies of how God has used ministries within this fellowship to bless. Listen, some of you would say, some of you would say, Pastor, oh, here's my testimony. I was lost. I didn't know Jesus at all. I was in my sin. I was separated from God. And then through hope, through somebody at hope, through a small group, through a ministry team, through the preaching of a sermon, I heard the gospel and Jesus radically changed my life he's forgiven me of my sin and given me a relationship with himself and that'd be your testimony you'd say man I got saved through the ministry of Hope Church some of you would say today hey it wasn't my salvation but but I'd never walked in intimacy with God I didn't know what it meant to have a daily personal fellowship relationship with God then I came to hope and God's used the ministry of this fellowship to teach me what it looks like to spend time with God. Some of you would say, Pastor, it was my marriage. My marriage was on the brink of disaster. We were about to divorce. God connected to us to some people in this fellowship. And man, God has brought revival and awakening to our home. God's restored our marriage. Our family's never going to be the same again. Some of you would say... When I came in here, I was on my last leg. I was addicted to this or that. I was about to give up. And here, I found Jesus and have experienced deliverance and victory in Christ. All over this building would be testimony after testimony after testimony. And let me say this. How does all that happen? Let me tell you how it happens. It happens because you give. Did you know that the ministry of this church is not financed one dollar by anybody outside of here? We're a part of a denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention. But what I love about our denomination is that we focus on the autonomy of the local church. Meaning this, they don't exist to to funnel money into the church. We're not provided for by them. As a church, we partner through our denomination and we give out of our resources to send missionaries all over North America and all over the world through our denomination. Everything that happens at Hope happens every week because you give. You're giving fuels the activity of God through this fellowship. Let me give you a couple of examples from just recently. I was in Memphis, Tennessee about three weeks ago. I was preaching at a conference. Pastor Teddy was with me. He was leading worship. Conference ended and we go down front there and just were greeting folks and saying hi and praying over people that needed to be prayed for and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're in a greeting line and you were doing that but you can always tell there's sometimes there's somebody like four or five people down the line and you can tell They're not going to wait on their turn. They're about to interrupt. (laughs) There was a guy about four or five people deep in the line, and you could just see it in his eyes. If he didn't get to say what he wanted to say, he was about to explode. I could just see it all with every move. He was just angry. He couldn't wait. And and as soon as it got to be his turn, he said, Pastor, i got to tell you this story. I said, go right ahead. I can tell you it's going to explode if you don't. So, so he starts telling me, he said, Pastor, I was addicted to drugs. I got locked up in prison, and my life was over. I'm sitting in jail, and my brother visited me. My brother who'd visited Las Vegas and come to your church. He said, my brother gave me, sitting in that jail, so a copy of a little DVD resource and a devotional guy called The Life of a Jesus Follower. He said, through reading that devotional, watching those messages, I met Jesus Christ, and Jesus and that little jail cell in Tennessee radically changed my life, so much so that I started leading other prisoners to Christ. We started a small group in our jail cell. We began to lead people to Christ and have church services together. He said, I got out of jail, moved to inner city Memphis, Tennessee. Now I'm planning a church to reach people that are just where I was, and we're birthing a church to see people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now listen. Where did that come from? Let me tell you where it came from. You gave. 
You see, we're able to print those things up and distribute those all over the world because you give. God's activity through our church is fueled. And listen, here's what I thought as I heard, heard him tell that story. How many more of those stories are out there that we don't even know about? How many stories are taking place? I got an email this week from a missionary in Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia in a country where it's illegal to preach the gospel publicly. And he said, Pastor, you'll never know, but every weekend, every week, I get online and I watch the services from home multiple times throughout the week. And it's what God uses to fuel my soul as I serve these peoples that have never heard the gospel before. How does that happen? Because you give. I'll give you another story. This week, Pastor Brian Hook and I went downtown to Las Vegas to visit one of the church planners that we just introduced to you a few weeks ago, Eric and Vicki McDaniel planning Refuge Church to reach the refugee population in Las Vegas. You say, how significant is the refugee population? Well, most of the refugees in Las Vegas are relocated just around an area called where Clark High School is located. Clark High School in downtown Las Vegas has 3,000 students. You know how many languages are represented among those 3,000 students? 130. 130 different languages represented at Clark High School. And we have a family that is down there. And they live right there in that neighborhood. And they're reaching those families. They're serving those families. One of the things they do is they took the home where they live. And they took the backyard. The landowner has allowed them to take the backyard and convert it into these little gardens. Because one of the things refugees deal with when they move here, so many of them are agricultural. They come here to Las Vegas. They have no way to grow their own crops. So they've created these little agricultural gardens back there that they lease out to those families with one condition. For one year, you tend this, you raise it, you handle it. And they build relationships with these refugees doing that and teaching them English as a second language. They walk them through a little ESL class that leads them to a a program that shares the gospel with every one of them. So they've been living down there, been ministering to these families. Thanksgiving, they had an invitation for any of those refugee families to come. Look at this picture. Over 70 refugees from nations, all of this is just one small picture of about 40 or 50 of them. Over 70 gathered in their home on Thanksgiving, and they're able to serve them food, meet their needs, love them in Jesus' name, and share the gospel. Let me tell you how that happened. It happened because you gave. The ministry of this fellowship is fueled by the giving that happens here. Every week. So, why should I give? Because God's activity is fueled by the giving of His people. But let me give you a second reason why we should give. The lack of giving robs God and limits my involvement in His activity. You heard what the Bible said. We read it. God said, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And they said, how have we robbed you? He said, in tithes and offerings. The word rob, in the Hebrew language, there are three different Hebrew words that all get translated into English as steal or rob. One of those words is a word that means to steal by force. It's what you might call breaking and entering. It's going in by force and taking that which does not belong to you. That's not the word that God uses here in Malachi. A second word is a word that means to take by oppression. In our vernacular, we would call that extortion. Where you come into a situation and through pressure, you lean on somebody and make them give you what belongs to them. 
It's not the word that God uses here in Malachi chapter 3. The third word is a word that means to take by deception. We would translate it into English with the word fraud or embezzle. That's the word God uses here. You're embezzling from me. I looked up the word embezzle in the dictionary. Here's the definition. To take for personal use money or property that has been given on trust by others without their permission. Here's what God said. When we take everything that He's given to us that belongs to Him, He's just entrusted it to us. When we take all of that and we treat it like it's ours, and we use it on us without giving him a portion that he requires, that he commands, here's what he says we're doing. We're embezzling from the kingdom of God. We're taking that which belongs to him and using it for our own personal gain. It's an interesting word that he chose to use, isn't it? You can tell by the quietness in the room. It's a powerful word. When you work for a company and you're responsible for a certain amount of resources and you take those resources within the company and you use them for your personal gain, it's embezzling. God says when you take everything I've given to you and you treat it all like it belongs to you and you don't give out of that as an investment in my kingdom... You're embezzling from the kingdom of God. It all belongs to Him. He's entrusted some to me, and what He's entrusted to me, I am to use for Him. And don't misunderstand me. God will accomplish His work. But if I don't give, I'm missing out on the opportunity. And I'm not only embezzling from the kingdom of God, but I'm robbing myself of the opportunity for the involvement and investment in the big picture of what God's doing. So those are just two reasons from these verses why we should give. So let me ask and answer a second question. How much should I give? I get that it all belongs to Him. I get that He's entrusted some to me. I get that I should always give a portion of that to Him. How much should I give? Well, that's what we were really talking about over these two weekends. Always a portion. Say that out loud. Always a portion. Sometimes a sacrifice. Always a portion. Sometimes a sacrifice. The biblical principle is that we are to give a portion out of everything that he gives us back to him as an investment. Now, immediately when you say that, there's always that Christian who screams this. Law! That's the Old Testament law. Don't bring that up. This idea of giving a portion, that's what they said in the We don't live under law. We live under grace. You ever had that person in your small group? Yeah, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? We don't live under law. We don't live under grace. Well, the problem with that is it's not true. The principle of giving a portion started 500 years before the law was given. You go all the way back to Abraham in the book of Genesis in chapter 14, and it describes it again in Hebrews chapter 7. Four to five hundred years before the law was given, Abraham gave a tenth 
of everything that God gave to him, he gave a tenth of it back to the Lord. And then when the law was given through Moses, the law didn't institute this. The law simply included what had been happening for generations in the lives of people that were following God. The law included it. Look on the screen, Deuteronomy chapter 16. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he's given you. Here's what he's saying. Out of what God gives to you, always a portion. And then after the law in the New Testament, under grace, the church continued this practice. Look at it in Acts chapter 11 verse 29. It says, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means. Another way to translate that phrase literally is just as they had prospered. Here's what that means. In response to what God had given them, out of that they gave a portion. Look, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. The point is this. Throughout the history of man's relationship with God, people have always given to the Lord a portion Of what he's given to them. You see giving a portion. Is not a requirement of the law. It's a privilege of the relationship. You see the privilege is. I get to get in on what God's doing. The privilege is. He doesn't need me. But he's allowing me to be used in his activity. The privilege is. I get to lay up an eternal investment in heaven. He said in Matthew chapter 6. You can read it later. But he said. Don't. Lay up your treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay it up in heaven where it's eternal, where neither moth nor thief nor rust can enter in and destroy and take away. It's a privilege to get in on what God's doing, and it's a privilege to lay up treasure in heaven. So then how much should I give? Well, I love what Randy Alcorn says. Randy Alcorn says, Every New Testament example of giving goes far beyond the tithe. However, none falls short of it. If you study the Bible, Old and New Testament, every New Testament example goes far beyond that initial principle of the tithe, 10%. But none falls short of it. Now, when I teach at Hope, you'll know, if you've been here for any length of time at all, you know that I always make it really clear when I'm transitioning from clear-cut biblical principle to my conviction based on biblical principle. I'm now talking to you about my conviction. You're going to talk to different Christians, and they're going to vary on this. Let me tell you my conviction as an example. My personal conviction based on the principle of Scripture is that out of everything God's given to me, every source of income in my life, the first 10% of that belongs to the Lord. If I take any of that 10%, and use it for me. Or if I take the income, pay all my bills, take care of all my situation, then see what's left in the end. I'm embezzling from the Lord. The, in my conviction, the way my family lives, the first 10% of every income, every produce, belongs to the Lord. Always a portion. The 10% principle is kind of like training wheels on a bicycle. And when you first started to ride a bicycle, stuck those training wheels on there, what did it do? It taught you how to ride. When's the last time you said, boy, I sure need my training wheels back? Doesn't happen, right? Once you learn how to ride, you got it. You see, the 10% principle is the training wheels. It teaches us how to ride. Can I be honest with you? My wife and I have now been married over 23 years. It's been a long time since we've had a conversation about 10%. You know why? Because the Lord's grown us to where we live so far beyond that now that we don't have to have the training wheels anymore. 
when you begin to live with everything open-handed, looking for opportunities to make a difference, you don't need the training wheels anymore. For me, my conviction is I'm not giving an offering until I'm giving past 10%. Because until I give the 10%, I'm just not embezzling. It's when I get past that that I'm now generously out of the overflow of what God's given me, giving to Him out of what He's given to me. Now, I'm sharing that with you because it's my conviction. You have to get with the Lord and establish your conviction. I challenge you to do it in light of Scripture. If you need some help in this area, we have a little book that we sell at our resource table. We've sold hundreds of them in our fellowship here at Hope. It's called The Treasure Principle. It's written by a man named Randy Alcorn. It's a great little practical how-to book to begin to engage in living this out. And I know, again, some of you are already thinking, Pastor, this is brand new. I've never heard this before in my life. I don't know if I can get... Listen, find a place to start in the grace of Jesus. Find a place to start and let God grow you in this principle. Always a portion. And again, I know where we are. I don't know if I can make that sacrifice. Listen, we're not talking about sacrifice yet. That's next week. Yeah, I just emptied out the building for next week, didn't I? I don't even want to hear that one. I, I'm, not even, I'm not even here yet. I don't, I'm not ready for that. Let, let me say it again. One of the reasons, a lot of pastors and preachers don't like to talk about this subject. I don't mind at all. Let me tell you why. I've experienced so much joy and freedom in understanding these things in my own life. I want you to get in on it. Some of you live it. Some of you know it. I can see it in your eyes. You live this out, and you know the freedom. Because here's the deal. When a need comes up in my life, you know what I get to say? Lord, that's yours. Because I did what you said, so now you got to do what you said. There's freedom in watching God do what only God can do. So so let me ask the last question. We're done. Can Can I really afford to give? Let me tell you what I've learned. I can't afford not to give. And I know for all the English teachers in the room, that's a double negative, but it's just true. I can't afford not to give. Let me show you this principle. Look on the screen. As we live generously, we invite the generosity of our Father into our lives. Read that out loud with me. As we live generously, we invite the generosity of our Father into our lives. Look back at the text. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And then he said, just test me. Do you know it's the only place in the Bible God said to do that? Only place in the Bible. God said, you don't believe me? Just test me. You start living this out. You just test me. And then what he said, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. And what does he say? Pour out a blessing. Sound familiar? Pour out a blessing until it what? Overflows. Here's the picture. Our Father is calling us to live generously. And the picture of this text is our Father has everything in a bucket and He's just holding it and He's waiting. Just test me. Come on, just try me. And when we begin to live like this, here's what He says He'll do. He will take and He will pour out into our lives and not just, not not, not one of these. I'm talking about He'll empty the bucket until we just can't hold anymore because He is faithful. Anybody else want to get in on that? 
we got to get here. When we live here, we invite the generosity of our Father into our lives. In two ways. Number one, He provides what we don't have. That's what He says here, I'll open up the windows and pour out a blessing. He'll give us what we don't have. But then it says, He'll sustain what we do have. Look at verse 11. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you. Who is that? That's the, that's the, the pest that would come in and eat their crops. He says, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground. He says, you know what I'll do? I'll not only give you what you don't have, I'll take what you do have and I'll make it go further. Look what he says. He says, nor will the vine in the field cast its grapes. He says, your grapevine, you know how you usually lose a certain portion? You're not going to lose that anymore. I'm going to make what you have go further. You know what? I, I really believe this with all my heart. I believe when I'm living out this principle, the tires on my car go further. I believe when I'm living out this principle, I go to the doctor less. He not only gives me what I don't have, but he takes care and provides for what I do have and makes it go further. And listen, I'm not talking about a give to get, but I am saying this. You cannot outgive my father. You can't. And just in case this morning you think, well, that's just one verse of Scripture. I want to show you some other places where it says the same thing. Look, look quickly on the screen. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Look what it says. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, both of those are in the Old Testament. We live under grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look what it says. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful what? Say it out loud. Giver. And my God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work. Let me show you another one. Philippians chapter 4. Paul's writing to a church that had given him a generous offering. And here's what he said. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply what? All your needs according. Get this. This is lavish. According to his riches. That's a big preposition. Big pronoun there. According to his, if it's according to my riches, that ain't much help. According to his riches, in glory, in Christ Jesus. You hear what he's saying? He's just piling it on. All throughout Scripture, we find this principle. When we live generously, we invite the generosity of our Father into our lives. Maybe this morning. The reason your situation is where it is and you don't think you can give is because you haven't been living out this principle and you've robbed yourself of the opportunity to have your father just open up the heavens. You know what I wondered? How many times he's just waiting and we give it one of these and he says, well, maybe next time. Maybe next time. And don't miss this. This blessing that he pours out, it's not about us. So we can sit back and go, man, look how blessed we are. No, look at Psalm 67. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. You see, he blesses us so that then we can take what we have and hold it loosely and use it as an investment in his kingdom. 
And it just becomes this conduit of God's favor and God's blessing. Generosity. I want to close by showing you something that we're going to unpack a little bit more next weekend. We're going to give you a generosity matrix to help us really grab this principle and take it home. On this generosity matrix, we're only going to deal with this side today. You see the word portion, always, sometimes. Now, let's just be honest. Most of Christianity lives right here. Sometimes we give a portion to the Lord. It's where most Christians live. Sometimes we give a portion to the Lord. And we think just to move into this box would be great sacrifice, always a portion. Here's what I want you to hear me say. We had not sacrificed on this side of the line yet. Sacrifice comes over on this side of the line. Always a portion is normal Christianity. Now, Vance Havner said we've become so subnormal that normal appears to be abnormal. Think on that over lunch. You need a little food in your stomach to digest that. But that's where we live as a culture. You see, when, when we live down here in sometimes a portion, our heart really says, it all belongs to me. It all belongs to me. And what that really is, is an improper view towards things. It's me thinking it all belongs to me, and occasionally, sometimes, when I have some extra, I'll give some of that to the Lord as an investment in His Word. But what the Bible's calling us to is a right heart towards things, which says it all belongs to Him, and I'm to always give a portion to the Lord. If that makes sense, say amen.